Do you know how to harness the power of your own subconscious mind? Did you know that by taking control of your subconscious mind, by becoming aware and in sync with it, you can be sure to take back control of your life and basically achieve anything you want to. In this episode, David Snyder specializes in eradicating negative thinking patterns and restricting ideas from the subconscious mind. Tune in and let's find out how we can take control of our lives by fostering the power over our subconscious mind. Hello and welcome. I am Venetia Zanetis and we live from Cyprus. Today, I will be talking to an extraordinary individual with incredible talents and skills, an expert in the field of peak performance, personal development, fast transformation, rapid pain removal, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us all the way from California, Mr. David Snyder. David, welcome. Thank you, Venetia. It's so wonderful to be here, and thank you for having me. Thank you for being here today. David, before we begin, let me introduce you very quickly. David Snyder is an NLP mastermind. He specializes in mind control techniques and advanced mind-body methods. He has mastered the art of fast and lasting pain removal using the power of the mind. David is an expert in the field of peak performance, advanced personality change, personal development, and instant emotional state shift. He is a leading expert on the subconscious brain and specializes in removing negative thinking patterns and limiting beliefs from the unconscious mind. He is recognized worldwide for his ability to help people overcome extreme physical, emotional, and behavioral problems. Now, he uses the mind in such a way that enables you to create the life of your dreams. He is an internationally recognized hypnotherapist that offers training to professional hypnotists worldwide. David is the author of over 15 hypnotic programs that teach self-improvement, persuasion, influence, healing, and more. Now, apart from his many qualifications in NLP and, hip and hypnosis, he also has a master's degree in acu acupuncture and Chinese medicine, where he has mastered the art of herbal therapy. He's a Reiki master teacher, pranic healer, pranic psychotherapist, and advanced DNA theta healer. David uses a powerful combination of healing techniques that allow his clients to heal themselves and others instantly. His methods and skills are so unique, successful and influential that they are used by hospitals, doctors, therapists, lawyers and other professionals around the world. David Snyder, welcome and thank you for being here today. Wow. Who's that guy you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet him. Holy cow. <laughs> David, oh, if I were to say that, it would sound like I'd be bragging or compensating for something. I'm not sure what there. Your qualifications are impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. David, tell us a little bit about yourself. I think you've told them everything you need <laughs> to know. <laughs> Jeez. Um, well, let's see. Um, where should I begin? I mean, I've been, I've been fascinated by the human mind and potentials and, and, and how to tap into those things since, since I was a little kid, um, mostly in, in the context of solving my own problems. 
you know, the last, even though I've, I've kind of evolved into a, a very strong, uh, being very active in the healing arts, it wasn't my primary focus. My primary focus was really, literally, to, to use a more uh, primal concept, power and control. I wanted more power and I wanted to take the randomness out of my life. I wanted to get my stuff handled, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what led me to all these different areas. You know, as I like to, I like to make a joke that when I was young and getting involved in these things, that all I wanted to do was kick butt, take names, get chicks and be cool. <laughs> And, uh, and but you know God has an the universe has an interesting way of directing you many times right into the fields you thought you'd have the least amount of interest in. You know, as I went through these different disciplines and sorting through all the different jigsaw puzzles, for lack of a better word, um, I started to notice parallels. I started to notice things they had in common, and just like. Uh, if you think of all of these disciplines, whether you're talking about uh, or acupuncture and oriental medicine or Reiki or pranic healing, um, if you think of them all as a jigsaw puzzle, mm -hmm. right? But here's the, th here's, here's the parameters to that. Each of those jigsaw puzzles is exactly the same picture, mm -hmm. but they're missing different pieces. Okay. So if you just move through the world accumulating enough incomplete jigsaw puzzles, mm -hmm. assuming they all show you the same picture, you'll eventually be able to reverse engineer a complete one. Okay. And what you see in, my, in, in, in the techniques that I demonstrate and what I teach mm -hmm. is my reverse engineering of that complete or closer to complete jigsaw puzzle. Okay. The, uh, the, the disciplines that, that we pull from NLP, hypnosis, Reiki, pranic healing, DNA theta healing, Bankston, you know, and, and all the other disciplines that you see on the, on the pedigree, fragments, they're pieces of a much larger map of how the human mind and body interacts both within itself and with the external world. Mm -hmm. And if we apply a few basic principles that have been for centuries and we learn to observe rather than look, then we can begin to notice the patterns that keep repeating and it's the patterns that repeat in our in our universe and within our own minds and bodies that tell us what is true right in terms of my life that is the guiding theme and again but again it started with very selfish very self-directed motives and i i still i'm still very self-directed and the reason i say that is because most of us are taught from the time that uh you know, we're raised that we should, you know, we should give and we should give and we should give. And the problem isn't that, isn't that we should give. It's that they tell us we should give to, every, give, give to everybody and not think about ourselves. And that more often than not leaves us create, feeling massively unempowered, weak, unresourceful in our lives. I think the most important thing I learned from all this is that you first have to make yourself strong, yourself wealthy, yourself healthy. Because once you have those resources, you're no good to the world broke. You're no good to the world sick. You're no good to the world without the inability to pay your rent or, or put food on your table or take your kids to Disneyland if you want. You know, you know, as long as you're constantly worrying about survival, you're no benefit to the world. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is, you know, make yourself strong, make yourself powerful, get your needs first, mm -hmm. and then you'll, you're, much more, you're much more able to give to the world. You're much more focused on sharing what you've learned and what you've discovered. And, and I realize that some people embrace that and a lot of people don't, but, you know, that's the guiding force. I'm, I run a clinic now here in, in, in Solana Beach uh, where I see, I see patients five days a week, you know eight, nine hours a day. Uh, I teach classes. I do everything I want to do, but none of that could have started uh, if I hadn't 
need to handle first. If I'd have gone around just donating money, mm-hmm. like our world in heaven and things like that, um, I'd have never done it. So I, I think it's, it's not exactly the question you were asking. I get that out there. Is that my job is to in, in this world is has two 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 parts to it. The first is to show people what's possible for themselves, right? The second is to eliminate as much suffering as I can. Now, sometimes the order of that changes depending on my mood. But in order for show, <laughs> in order to show people what's possible, I have to be able to demonstrate okay. what's possible, which means I have to stand up and I have to be able to go into any room, anytime, anywhere, stand up in front of a room of complete strangers and demonstrate what I teach. So my job is is to just lead by example, to bring it's just on the wrong things and you've been focusing on it in a fragmented way. And when you put things together in the right order, seeming magic happens. But it's a magic that, it's a magic that we can explain. It's a magic that we can show you the pieces and how they fit together. And when they fit together right, you get a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. There is magic, pure adult magic in every human being on this planet. You know how the system works. Wow, that's okay. uh, so, wonderful. I agree. If there's something specific that you want to know about my particular yeah, if there's something specific you want to know about my past, please ask because otherwise I will just go off on tangents and ramble for a solid hour. Okay, David, actually, I have put together some questions for you regarding the mysterious mind. So when okay. you are ready, let's begin. I am ready now. Okay. David, can you talk a little bit about the conscious, subconscious, and the unconscious mind? What role does oh, okay. each mind play? Very good. Okay. Well, first of all, it's interesting, a three-tiered distinction in conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. That's not a distinction a lot of people make. I happen to make it, but it's arbitrary. It's not uh, something if you look up uh, unconscious versus subconscious in the dictionary or in a medical book or a psychology book, you won't necessarily find definitions that agree. So in the world according to David, as I like to call it, I look at it this way, okay? The conscious mind is that part of you that pays volitional attention. It's the placebo power. It's like the spotlight of your attention, right? If uh, that's dark and I shine a light, it's going to be a light is what my conscious mind is focused on. Now, why is that important? Because your conscious mind is direct is the seat of your directed awareness. So if like you're watching me on this video right now, your conscious mind is focused on me, it's aware of me, it's recording and it's mod- and it's judging and evaluating everything I'm saying. It's also creating a direct path into your unconscious mind through your short-term memory, then ultimately through your long memory. The short-term memory faculty is also a direct function of the conscious mind. So it's like scratch pad. Um, if it stays there long enough with enough emotional content or enough energy, it will eventually pass into long-term memory. Your conscious mind is also the seat of your willpower, but it's all that the conscious mind is a very small part of the overall mind. Remember, 
we talked about it in a dark room and you're shining a little pen light in the corner. Yes. Everything that's illuminated by that little pen light is what you're consciously aware of. Mm -hmm. What you're unconsciously aware of is everything else in that dark room. Right? So the interest and, and one of the dynamics that we need the conscious faculty. It's a film that's designed to screen incoming information versus what's already in the memory banks and look for the matches and the mismatches. When things come in through that, that critical faculty filter that match our belief system, mm -hmm. it's accepted. If, it, if, if the critical faculty is presented with something that doesn't match our belief system, it's rejected. We receive a, a feeling of cognitive distance, a discomfort between what we've just been presented with. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole process we have to go through and it'll either be accepted or it won't. Usually it won't be. Um, so that's kind of what your conscious mind does. Your conscious mind evaluates, it rationalizes, it analyzes, it judges, it, 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 it actually creates stories, rationales, if you will, to justify acting on the feelings in your body. It's the part of you that, that wants you to believe that you make all of your decisions based on facts and figures rather than on the, feel, the body feelings and emotions in your body. And they don't have to be true, right? It's the part that thinks it's in charge when it really isn't. It's like the two-year-old of the body, but it serves an important function, a very, very important one. So I'm not, I'm not demeaning the conscious mind when I talk about it, but we do need to understand in the context of the total human being what it does. Your subconscious mind, I tend to look at that as your emotional mind. It's the seat of uh, your long-term memory. It's the seat of your emotions. Um, it's the part of you that feels and remembers events in your past. Okay, um, that com that again. A lot of people kind of lump the subject with the next part I'm going to describe, which is the unconscious. The unconscious mind, to me, is the part of you that controls the meat. It, it's the part of you that keeps your heart beating, your, your endocrine system balanced, uh, that keeps your lungs breathing, that reminds you to breathe when you forget because you're excited or whatever. It's, it's in charge of all your, your immune system functioning, regulating, and deciding how many white blood cells should I produce today? How many red blood cells should I produce today? You know, the part of you that walks, because if you would actually have to think about it, you wouldn't, right? You, you, would, you couldn't make two steps without getting distracted and falling on your face, right? So so those are the distinctions that I make in terms of the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious dynamic. Now, you can also think of it in terms of uh, the different cortexes of the brain or the different levels of the brain. You hear me in, in some, of my, uh, some of my videos, you hear me talk about the reptile brain or the three brains that we have, right? Um, the conscious mind, and again, this is a generalization. There are exceptions to everything. But the generalization is the conscious mind is analogous to the neocortex the newest, literally the new layer, the newest layer of our brain, okay? It thinks in facts and figures. It thinks in words and dialogue, mm -hmm. okay? Then you have the limbic system or the mammalian brain. This is your emotional brain. This is the part of you that feels fear and feels love and, and joy and, and all those different passions. And then you have the unconscious, which is analogous to what we in the Russian sports psychology, the paleocortex. And this is the part of you, again, that literally runs the meat, but it, it, it works in terms of primal drives, of, of anything that preserves the body and moves the genes forward. Mm -hmm. It doesn't concern itself with heaven or hell. It doesn't concern itself with good or evil. All it cares about 
is moving the genes forward. Do I eat it? Do I kill it? Or do I mate with it? That's pretty much what it concerns itself with. Excellent. And uh, it is a powerful part of us. It is the part that we need to influence most effectively if we want to have all of our resources moving forward in life. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, David. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Mm -hmm. David, can you tell us a little bit more about the belief system and what role it plays in our life? Well, your belief systems literally control everything. And, and one of the things is that we need to and we think of beliefs, when we think of beliefs, we think of these monstrous iceberg-like masses below our common, by the way. You have beliefs you know about, and you have beliefs you don't know about. Mm -hmm. And it's the beliefs we don't know about, more often than not, that derail our best efforts, our best intentions. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we're acquiring these things all the time. In fact, when I was going through that brief list of questions that you sent me about where we might go today, um, there's a question about that. So we'll circle back. I'll, I'll leave that loop open for now. But um, honestly, Venetia, the truth of the matter is, is that at its most primal, fundamental level, all a belief really is, is a decision about the way the information that we had at the time. Okay. Now, the problem is, is that emotions are, our beliefs are largely emotion-based. They're based on a... a, a most of the, the ones that cause problems anyway, even the ones that don't, the ones that actually move us forward, are based on the feelings in our body that we were having at the time and the context we found ourselves in and what our neurology did to cope with it. So if, if for instance, you're growing up in a household that uh, around you, maybe your dad or your mom, your parents are working, you know, working class blue collar people and every time they pass somebody driving a nice car or, or you know, seeing somebody on a yacht say, you know, we're poor, but we're happy, right? Well, because that, that statement was delivered with a certain tonality by an authority figure many times at a point in your life where you have no conscious defense mechanism, you have no way to parse or filter that. Your critical faculty hasn't been developed yet. Yeah. The beliefs get imprinted directly into the unconscious and subconscious mind. And they become foundational. The further back in our history, though, the more powerful the memories we have are. The, the memories you have yet from yesterday aren't nearly as powerful in your life as the ones you had when you were five. Mm -hmm. And so those early, early memories are the templates that form primal beliefs within us, primal decisions about the way the world is. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of these are just things we heard, things we were told. We had no basis to compare them to. There was nothing in there to compare them to, so they got written right to the hard drive, and they become an operating faculty because we, we've identified with the primary caregivers in our life, and what they say is reality. Mom and dad are the first gods in our universe, regardless of what religion wants you to believe. Mom and dad, from a functional level, are the gods and the templates for God in our universe. So that's kind of where these beliefs, but beliefs really, Vanita, or is it Venetia or Vanita? Venetia. I can't remember. Venetia. I thought so. Uh, the, uh, I want to make sure I got that right. Um, <laughs> without, after an introduction like that, I better damn well get your name right. <laughs> but, <better>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but really, um, even though we tend to think of beliefs as something bigger than a decision, they really aren't. They, they have an emotion. They aren't. No. They're, they have emotion connected to them. They have a context connected to them, right? But 
And that's one why they're so hard to change. It's not the decision that's the problem. It's the feelings and the context cementing that in place. Because a lot of, and again, depending on what kind of belief we're talking about, we're talking about traumatic beliefs, then we've got a whole bunch of things to unravel. But really beliefs are just decisions about the way the world is based on the information we had at the time. And most of them go largely unchallenged. Do they literally control our life? Absolutely. Remember I talked about the critical faculty at the beginning of the, yes, the interview, yes. right? Remember I said the critical faculty is a filter mm-hmm. that parses the information mm-hmm. Senses. Actually, it doesn't. It actually parses information given to it by the five senses via the unconscious mind. Ah. See, the truth is the least informed and the last to know anything in your mind and body. By the time something reaches your conscious awareness, it has massaged, generalized, and censored to the point where whatever it gets through is already highly weighted toward or, or prejudiced you already have wow. right that's the function yeah, and the critical faculty is a gatekeeper it's designed to keep your brain from changing too fast if your critical faculty wasn't there any information that came in would overwrite what got there previously so it's a very important function it but is. it's also but it's also the part that can keep us stuck because if be isn't spiritual at an early age, then the longer that belief lies dormant within the unconscious mind, the harder it is to get to I see. and the harder it is to change. So um, I kind of got open loop there, but the critical faculty, the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to, if let's say that I tell you that being spirit, being wealthy and spiritual are one and the same thing. And in some of the wealthiest people I know are extremely spiritual, right? And vice versa, mm-hmm. right? Um, King Solomon was one of the most profound and uh, powerful masters of the law of attraction we understand. They called it magic back then, but it's the same thing. He's one of the richest people in the world. Um, but if, that, if you're presented with that information, but there's a belief at the unconscious level that wealth is bad, that wealth is not spiritual, it's going to take a tremendous, tremendous amount of energy, time, and effort to force that belief through the, the filter of the critical faculty, and there's still a high probability it won't be strong enough to change the belief that was installed when you were three or four years old. Okay. So you have to, if you want to get to that belief more easily, you literally have to neutralize that critical faculty, put it off to the side, go into the storage room or the warehouse where all those memories are archived, mm-hmm. change the actual file, yes. leave, bring the critical faculty back. Now when it's presented information like that, when it does its normal function, it finds information that corroborates the new belief or the new suggestion. That's here. How would you change that for the file? You usually need to neutralize the critical faculty, which is, again, that part of you that analyzes, rationalizes, and judges, that thinks it knows what's going on, that thinks it knows where the problem started. Because the conscious mind almost never knows. There's a firewall, literally and figuratively, between what's stored the unconscious and subconscious levels and what the conscious mind can access. Mm-hmm. So because the conscious mind has domain over the short-term memory, it has access over what you focus on for any period of time, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 had, it tends to have a very short attention span, believe it. 
not, and it can't get to the long-term memories unless the unconscious mind gives it access. So the fastest way to do it is what I call talking to the boss. We just give the, the person a process that, for all intents and purposes, causes the critical faculty, the conscious mind, to step back, gives, throws open doors to the well, the part that's really in charge, which is your other than conscious mind, which is the sum, the sum total of your conscious, or your, I'm sorry, the sum total of your, your subconscious and your unconscious mind, right? When those two together, we call that the other than conscious mind. And then that will give us access to not just the memories, but the parts above of the body that is storing that information, both in terms of physical sensation, as well as the actual holographic container of the memory itself. So once we can access that, we can start changing everything. And then when we bring the conscious critical faculty back online, it resumes its normal function. But now when we present it with information, um, the information that it researches to validate what's coming in is already there. And so it just accepts it and it adds to it. And you, so you have a propulsion system now that's working towards you and you're, you're more becoming the person you want and choose to be rather than the person you were chosen to be by external okay. forces when you were growing Absolutely. up. I agree with that. David, are belief systems subconscious programs? Mm -hmm. Belief systems and subconscious programs. All right. Well, remember, belief systems, again, I'm simplifying. There's, there's you know, other dimensions to our beliefs, but belief systems are just aggregates or families of beliefs that have something to do with each other. Now, the unconscious mind tends to group things by what things have in common. It doesn't do things in a linear, this happened here, this happened there. It looks at, when I was five, I stubbed my toe and it hurt. Uh, when I was eight, I hurt my back. Oh, oh, they both have pain and they link it at the pain, right? Oh. And so, right? And so when many times when you start to dialogue with the unconscious, uh, you're going to get a different set of answers than you consciously expect because the unconscious mind and the subconscious mind have a much different way of organizing experience. Mm -hmm. And those belief systems that we have are organizations of beliefs that have uh, are, are similar in some way or pertain to a specific context. Now, going back to conscious mind, I'm going to close that loop on conscious, subconscious. There's a saying in the in the sub world and is true enough to be true. In fact, I firmly believe it. Your beliefs influence your perceptions. Your perceptions influence your beliefs. It's a feedback loop. Now, the nice thing about a feedback loop is we can inject change at any level of that feedback loop and it will generalize to the other side. For instance, if I can install a belief change that says, be, I'm going to use wealth as an example again, that being wealthy is good and desirable and allows you to have all of these things and you're a good person for becoming by becoming wealthy, then what will happen is the way you perceive information coming through your five senses will change. Even though it's all the same information, what your system prioritizes will change. There's a behavior uh, that Dr. Paul Ekman, uh, who was a consultant for a book called Lie to Me, uh, isolated in his book, Emotions Revealed. It's called the emotional refractory period. And it's a behavior that your neurology engages in uh, when you're in a certain state. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about perceptual filters, understand that what I'm actually talking about is the priority that your neurology, your senses, your conscious mind, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. gives to certain types of information. If you have a belief that wealth is evil or being rich is unspiritual, Yes. Using that as an example, 
And I present you with um, books and videos that say the contrary. Your brain will start to look for all the flaws in the argument. It'll start to look for all of the information that reinforces the belief it currently has. And even if you keep is real. Yeah, that its belief is real and valid because we will instinctively fight and ages will give accepted as true. It's one of the roots of resistance. There's three basic three plus one basic roots to resistance to change. And one is with anything that we've accepted as true, your neurology will rebel against anything that proves to the contrary. Right? So that's why rhetorical arguments win the day. You'll win you'll win the battle, but you'll lose the war. Because even though they can't win the argument, their heart isn't in it. Mm-hmm. And if the heart's not engaged, if the body's not engaged, then you're going to get some kind of blowback. You're going to get some kind of passive reactance or resistance to the information. They'll go along, but they'll go along grudgingly. And that never leads to success all that much. There's people always find a way to short circuits. Until the subconscious accepts it as true, you will always experience internal conflict. Is that correct? Exactly. Yep. And that's where a lot of our problems are in terms of belief systems because our, our, our body are absolutely capable of holding beliefs that can get counteract each other. It's, 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 it's it, for lack, I hate to use this word counterintuitive, but the truth of the matter is, is that part of us wants to help us wants to be safe and to be happy and to protect mm-hmm. us. Yes. But many times the way those parts go about are in direct conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. So I tell people a lot of times that we all go through life with the equivalent of a jet engine and an anchor strapped to our back. And it's the difference between the drag from the anchor and the thrust from the engine that determines how far we get, how fast. Now, most people are usually trying to add more thrust to the engine, which makes them go faster, but it also adds more drag. Because anytime you drag... <laughs> yeah, right? But if we we take off like a rocket yes. under the same amount of energy, okay. right? Excellent. So... So this is where we this is where we're at. The beliefs you have will change how you sort reality, the how you the information that you're given. And it will always massage what you pay attention to first to support the belief system you already have. Um, okay. Interesting stuff. Thank you for that, David. This is an extension to the previous question. Can you talk a little bit more about what what happens when we have limiting negative beliefs in the subconscious sure it's 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 well we've, we've answered a lot of that already but when we have limiting beliefs in the especially and we can consider them negative uh, uh remember the belief that we have whether we consider it a negative belief or not has at its core a positive intention yes. everything the neurology is doing even if we consider it a bad thing you know self-sabotage holding ourselves back procrastination Everything the neurology is doing is to protect us from something or to get us a benefit. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the problem with uh, behaviors generated at the unconscious level is they're largely pragmatic and they're not they're – what I mean by that is let's say uh, when you're six years old, you have to give a presentation. Yes. in front of the class or on a stage and you step out on stage and you've – you're on that stage, you see all those people and the lights are shining down and you freeze. Because inside what happened was the unconscious mind said, oh my God, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. I got to get him out of this. Get her out of this. protect you. 
Yeah. So I, I say, well, wait a minute. If I just freeze, they'll leave her alone. They'll take her off the stage. She won't have to be there anymore, right? And so what happens? And after a few minutes, they take pity on you. They walk you off stage. The unconscious mind goes, that worked. Next time you have to give a presentation, is going to say, have we ever been in a situation like this before? Let me check. Yes, what did we do? We froze. We'll do that again. Let's freeze again. Because that's oh, your, your, wow. your unconscious mind does. Richard Bandler is fond of saying uh, one of the biggest things have is that they confuse thinking with remembering. Right? Remembering is stepping out on stage, remembering the time you froze it again. That's remembering. That's not thinking. When we think, we take all of the faculties that we have utilize resources of the nervous system to decide how we want that to affect us. Now, we have complete control over that. It's just on way how to do it. And that's what I do in a lot of my free meetups and seminars is I show you how to find the dashboard, the control panel for the neurology, so you can decide how these things are going to affect you. That's the study of NLP. Um, but that's what's going to happen is your unconscious mind rationalize it can reason but it has the rational reasoning capability of about a 10 year old mm -hmm. but the thing you understand about your subconscious mind is that it's deeply emotional and it's every bit as intelligent as the rest of you in fact more so and it has access to a hell of a lot more so the secret to this is if you would let a deeply intelligent extremely emotional rationally limited 10 year old run your life keep doing what you're doing because that's what's, happening. that's what's happening. The unconscious mind has tremendous power, but it also needs guidance. It needs right. to know what to do with the stuff it's, 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 it's being inundated with on a minute-by-minute minute And that's actually part of what your conscious mind, your critical faculty, is designed for. It's designed to be directed inward in such a way that it can tell in a way that the unconscious mind understands what to do with this stuff. Most of it, but we're not socialized. We're not trained in that aspect of how our neurology and our own physiologies. And so we're at the mercy of these defettings that, that were installed in us or came out of the womb with. It's like nobody, nobody in their right mind would buy a brand new cell phone and leave it exactly the way they got it bought it. Within five minutes of getting that sucker out of the box, you're, you're deleting apps, you're updating apps, you're changing things around, you're customizing it, right? And the next time that the new version comes out, you're upgrading that again. Yeah. Well, the average human being is moving through the world with a decade-old cell phone that has never been updated. The apps are still running at whatever level they, they were installed at, and they haven't changed. And they're, what they're doing with, you know, and they're going to have less positive results many times over time because nobody's showed this showed you how to upgrade your system okay so right. the conscious mind tells the subconscious mind what to do with the information mm -hmm. give me an example okay um most people who suffer from chronic anxiety okay now most there's there's what i call the subliminal user interface which is below the threshold what you consciously see there's a holographic Right. Let's well. Let's let's play. I want you to remember a time in your life, Venetia, when you felt really, really good. Not that one. The other one. <laughs> <You're funny. laughs> as as you feel it, 
feel it. Okay. I want you to point to where you feel it on your body. Just point to physically where the feeling emerges in your body. All right. That's called your somatic address. Yeah. That's called your somatic address. There's always a place in the body where the feelings originate from. Okay. But now that's your somatic address. Now what we want to do is we want to access the subliminal user interface, the dashboard that actually controls the intensity at which that feeling is played. So I want you to imagine, if you will, that there's a picture floating in the space around you that represents that picture or represents that feeling. Reach out and touch it. Go with your first impression. Now trace the edges of it with both of your hands so you know how big it is. Very good. Now grab the edges of the picture mm -hmm. and just to show you, Make it half the size and tell me what happens to the feeling in your heart. Shrinks. Oh, wow. You mean changing a picture that isn't there change the feeling in your heart? Yeah. Oh, make yes. it big again. Yeah. Oh, what happened? What happened? You like that, don't you? Oh, I do. It's gone back to its original size now. now. Lift it up over your head. Pull it down around you like a big blanket. Ooh. <laughs> what just happened? I think the feeling intensified. It's gone from having it externalized to identified. You've embodied it. All we really did was change the holographic encoding process that, that is the sum total of that feeling within your neurology. We access a dashboard, a control panel below the threshold of conscious awareness, utilizing your conscious mind, your intention, and your physical body. And by changing and connecting them, you can decide how to feel about anything oh, now wow. people now we have default settings for this people who are chronically anxious people who are chronically overstimulated take your picture we're just gonna we're gonna get we're gonna start with a positive feeling but we can do the exact same thing for a less than positive feeling unwrap it back where it was and notice what happens the feeling you just wrapped around your body unwrap it put it back where it was and notice what happens okay it went back to its original form how does it feel the intensity, less or more. The intensity has gone down now that I've unwrapped it from around me. Exactly. Now push it across. Keep the size the same, but push it across the room. Oh, no, it's further away. It's, it's not as intense. All right. Now bring it back. I will. Come here. Okay. That's right. Now, what you've just unengaged in thinking, you made a decision about how to make that experience. Oh, you can choose to put that thing anywhere you want and have completely control over it. Oh, wow. People who are chronically anxious, who are chronically overwhelmed, mm -hmm. is the pictures are massive and they're right here. They're too close to the core of the body. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're like playing the volume at 10 all the time for that experience. Mm -hmm. And so they move through the world chronically overstimulated. When all they had to do, if they could point to where they feel it, find the picture, and playing with it, they could choose exactly how intense to make that feeling, so or to completely take, take it. Feeling, make it small, throw it over the wall, and or just gone. behind them. You want to see something really cool, or yeah. feel something really cool? Yeah. Now remember, what we're going to do. You can have your feeling back in just a minute. Right? Okay. But all I want you to do is, but for the sake of our drill, reach out, grab your picture again. Okay. Yep. Sneak it down the size of a postage stamp. Throw it behind you, all the way behind you. What happened to the feeling? Oh, I think I feel a bit nervous. Okay. Bring it back. Yeah. 
Expand it. Put it where it will do you the most good. Right here. Perfect. Now go let it go from your bloodstream. Let it travel. Every place that your blood goes, let that feeling flow. Let it flow into your DNA, into the very cells of your DNA, turning each of your cells into little DNA pleasure factories. And I want you to just notice the process taking place. Allow it to run its course until it's impossible. Try to turn it off, Anisha, and notice what happens instead. No, it's not turning off. You mean you're stuck feeling good? Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> Bummer. That's a suck deal. <laughs> but this is the power that we have. Right? I didn't do anything. You did. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And that's just the beginning. It's a tip of a very large iceberg. We've, all of us have been able to do this since the time we crawled out of the ocean. The problem was, just no one told us this level of our awareness, that this interface was even there, much less how to access it. But once you do, the body, the, the human nervous system is geared around all of the components working synergistically together, speaking and communicating in a language that all the parts understand. Wow. And that's one of the problems that we have with a lot of our therapies. They remember said that every piece that we have is a jigs is an incomplete sub puzzle. So your energy healers, they're going to work on the energy body and the physical body, but they won't touch the mental body directly. Acupuncture, oil medicine, same thing. Uh, talk therapies, they'll address the cognitive side, but leave the physical side alone. And so it takes longer. You have to work harder, and the the results are never nearly as holistic as they could be when all of the parts of the nervous system are functioning the way nature intended them to, which is synergistic. Hmm. You need to work on it as a whole, don't you? You, you, need, to, you, need, you need to be able to, it's actually the, the secret to doing this is actually in the Bible. When Jesus be as little children, Yes. the secret to it is to playful and play pretend with this energy, with this feeling, because that's how you access the information. I call it point and click therapy. If you can point to where you feel it, you have the access point, the node to install change. Mm -hmm. After that, it's just asking the right questions. When you look at the emotion face to face, does it weaken? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's excellent. Thank does you very much. Thank you very much. Again, it's not, the, it's not looking at it face to face that's the problem. It's how big is it and how close is it to the core of your body? So the language of the nervous system is not words as we understand it. It's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory relations. Mm -hmm. That's the language of the neurology. When we communicate with people, we, can, we take all that information and we compress it and distort it and delete it so it will fit within a word. Hmm. I right? And that's how we try to communicate. But it's is holographic we were never told about the power we possess this not is, directly uh, no this is interesting stuff okay moving on david how do programs enter the subconscious mind apart from during childhood is there another way well i think a, uh, another way to ask that question is how don't they enter the subconscious mind okay remember something that. okay Remember something. Your subconscious mind, your unconscious mind never sleeps. Mm -hmm. It's always aware. It's always recording. 
The difference is the only time you can recall information is when it passes through the conscious mind and into long-term memory because it automatically installs a recall pathway. But everything going on around you is being recorded and installed and archived somewhere within your system. Mm-hmm. It can dramatically change their, your lifestyle. You know, you, there's been studies where you, you know, you take, you take uh, a, somebody who wants to earn a certain amount in their life. If you move them to a community where what they want to make is the median income, within several years, their income will go up to match. Right? Mm-hmm. Because of the, the peripheral programming that's going in. So we can, uh, we can have programs installed with us subliminally, paraliminally. We can be primed with things. We can, it can come in through movies, theater, television. Anything that stimulates our neurology writes information to the hard drive. And if we accumulate enough types of experiences within a certain category or context, we will start to form a conclusion or a set of perceptual filters about it. And pretty much everything that we acquire in terms of subconscious programming is done that way, either directly or indirectly, deliberately or by random and by default. You are, we are surrounded, and I don't care what culture you're from, you are surrounded by advertising, movies, television, family, religion. All of these agencies have a vested interest in writing subconscious programs into you because that's how they get you to behave the way they want you to behave. My job, at least my, my, my self-appointed job, is to teach people how to become progressively more self-aware so that they can choose what programs to keep and which ones to remove because it's your mind, it's your body, it's your life. Mm-hmm. And anything outside is outside of your control. Absolutely. Just because it's outside of your – and just because it's outside of your awareness doesn't mean it isn't controlling you, right? Very true, yeah. So how do we a very advanced professor. Okay. How do you remove them? How do we remove mm-hmm. programs from the subconscious or the unconscious? The first, thing we have, the first thing we have to do is become aware that they're there. Yes. Okay. And the way we start to become aware that they're there a feelings in our body in certain contexts almost always the best way to begin that process and to also look at the results we produce in our life right uh, classic example of this is uh, a man or woman who constantly dates the same person with a different face right you know you, you, you get in a relationship with five women or four or five men and they all behave exactly the same way but they have a, they look completely different right well What's the common denominator in all of that? It's a program. It's the person who's doing the dating, right? It's not the people you're attracting. It's the person that's attracting them. The program in the person. (laughs) When you're you're consistently producing a result in spite of your best intentions or efforts to do something different, now you know you have an unconscious program that's directing Mm -hmm. things, that's skewing your perceptions and generating peripheral behaviors or or behaviors. Uh, and that's where you can start to ask questions, start to mine and dig deeper into past the ras- layers of rationalization that we, we heap on top of these things. The other way is really body feelings. If you find yourself, the one principle that we need to understand is all human behavior, all behaviors human beings generate is in response to a feeling they've got. It's either something they want more of, and so the behaviors they generate 
are designed to get more of it, or it's a feeling they want less of, and the behaviors they generate are designed to move them away from it. Mm -hmm. Right? So by more in touch with our feelings physically as well as emotionally, remember not all emotions are feelings, but not all feelings are emotions. So we need to make a distinction there. Uh, by becoming more aware of what our body feelings are in a given situation or context, we can begin to come, become aware of what kind of information we can find or realize we have these things going on by the kind of results we're producing mm-hmm. or the feeling states in our body or both. These are the two fastest ways to, to deal okay. with it. What kind of questions would you ask yourself regarding your beliefs? Regarding your beliefs, um, can you contextualize that a little bit more? Well, if I have a belief and um, I need to acknowledge it first, so I've acknowledged it. Let's Mm -hmm. say, for example, I'm dating the same guy over and over with a different face. So now I've Mm -hmm. acknowledged the belief. What kind of questions would I ask myself regarding the belief if I would like to eliminate it? First thing I would ask is what do I want? First first thing I would would want to know is where where did that belief originate from? the template or what was the origin of it right the fastest way to get to the origin of the belief is through the body feelings that it generates and then we have specific protocols for unlocking that particular container right it's a holographic memory container Um, and so we'll go back to that first scene situation or event we'll find we'll talk to the boss we'll find it and then depending on what intervention we're going to use we're going to ask what do we want instead and then we're going to change that particular memory complex or belief system so that it starts to reorient us <clears throat> towards the new reality. See, we need to know what we want and then find out what's keeping us from getting it, disconnect and, re- and resolve or depotentiate, for lack of a better word, the problem and then install something new. So, and once you've installed it, then the whole guidance system becomes upgraded and we start pulling different results in okay. our life. And will the subconscious always respond? Yes. It may not always respond in the way that you expect. Do you have to be in a certain state for it to respond? You have to be willing. You have to be willing. It has to be willing to engage in the process, right? And that's one of the reasons that we don't take everybody here at the clinic, because for whatever reason, sometimes people just haven't suffered enough. They ha- uh, they haven't suffered enough. It's it's a it's a terrible, horrible, you know truism about the change work industry is that a lot of people have become so familiar and so connected to their problems that the thought of not having them is actually more traumatic than right? okay. so, kinds of reasons people onto stuff or generate behaviors. And we need to find we need to find a positive as that by getting rid of it you're gonna get something better. And sometimes, and more often than not, most people that come through my door, at least, um, they've hit that point. They've hit the wall. They've, they've been to the doctor. They've been to the psychologist. They've been to the clergyman. They've been to the psychic. The only reason they came to me was because they couldn't find which doctor in the phone book. Um, and they don't really care how I get the change. I, they wouldn't care if I waved a dead chicken over their head as long as they got out of that chair better than they went in. Um, and, so, and, and we do. We get really, we really, really good results here at the clinic. But at the end of the day, all of our results are based on the client's willingness to follow the instructions. So the client has and to hit rock bottom. Not always. But actually they have to reach a point in their life where they just can't, they just can't do this another day. 
right? Oh, I see. Now, some people read, some people reach the and some have weaknesses that preclude them from actually acting on those things. And again, we can deal with all that as provided they're willing to go through the process. Nothing, I don't force anyone to change. I guide people through a self a, a process. It's not me healing and not them healing them. Because if they could heal themselves, they wouldn't be in my chair. Absolutely. They may have the research, they may have the ability, but they don't have the knowledge and the know-how to do it until after they get out of the chair. Then they don't need me anymore. Gil know how to access it, and they can just live their life and, and write their own their own ticket. So it's something that's cooperative. It has to be based on mutual trust and cooperation. If the person isn't, I can, I don't. You don't have to believe anything I do. Belief is not necessary. What you have to be willing to do is follow the instructions to the best of your ability. If you can do that, then change is inevitable. Wow. What would you say to somebody that would change but isn't ready to change? Keep suffering until you are. Oh, and, and is that it's not my call. Is, is that the best option, do you think, in your opinion? <sighs> my, my, my experience has been is that when people have reached the point where they are done suffering, they will do whatever it takes to access the help they need. If you've, if you've, if, if you've demonstrated that you have a skill set or a modality that can definitively change their life and then they balk at taking the next step once they're, they're convinced it can help them, you're dealing, with, you're dealing with a deservingness issue more than anything else. Because if, if they feel they don't deserve, then that's just another belief. Programming in the belief system, yes? This is we're getting a little lag here. So what did you just say? We got a little bit of lag. So if they if they don't believe that they deserve to be cured, is that another program in the belief system? Yep. And we can fix it. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. David, can you talk a little bit more on how to program the subconscious mind with new empowering programs? I can. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. The, the most important part of it, though, is the first thing we got to do is we got to clean out the crap. Before we can install a new belief, we have to get rid of the old one. Or modify the existing one. The fastest, most direct way to, to, to create a new belief is to remove the elements that created the old one in the first place that support the old one. Then the system becomes neutral. It becomes op more open to accepting something different. Uh, then it's going to be hypnosis and usually some form of hypnosis, NLP, energy, psychology, intervention, some form of altered state work that gets the conscious mind out of the way creates uh, a window to access the memories that are keeping that old belief locked in place mm -hmm. and allow and so just allow then we future pace we put them into uh, we, we take them out onto their into their future progression and we have them experience the reality based on that new oh, on that new paradigm and then they'll start to describe I actually have to go like a, a week a month 
six months and I have them move into that time and I have them tell me what that's like. I have them describe it to me. And the more they describe it, the more information I get about how uh, holistic the change work has been. Because what you'll see, let's say you wanted the moon, right? But when you were calibrating the trajectory of the earth, it doesn't look like that big a deal. By the time you're halfway to the moon, you're off towards some other part of the Milky Way and the moon is on the other side of the planet because that's one degree, right? So what you need to do when, when we finish the change work, when we finish the change work, we start future progression. We actually take them into the new alternate reality based on the changes and have them describe what they're living. And 90% of the time, they're in heaven. I mean, everything is exactly what they want. 10% of the time, secondary issues come up at different stages. Give me an example. And, um, well, sometimes you have people who are, have a lot of trauma in their life, a lot of deserving this stuff. And so we'll do change work and at, set, at a week, they're, they're feeling pretty good. At a month, they're feeling even better life. They're, they're starting to expand their social circle. Then maybe they hit six months and all of a sudden a, an icky feeling comes up that is triggered by something to do with family or something to do with a person or a context. Mm-hmm. And that will do another intervention right there and we'll clean it up and we'll continue the progression, right? Um, more often than nine times out of 10, it's, it, they're, they just get progressively better, you know? And, and that's what you see because anytime the unconscious mind generates an outcome, it has to happen. The difference between unconscious timing and, and conscious timing, the unconscious mind has access to all of our resources. It has access to way more information than the conscious mind. So when the conscious mind decides to do something it, it, on a certain timetable, it may or may not manifest. But when the conscious mind makes a decision something is going to manifest, your entire world is going to move, facilitate that. So what we're looking for more often than is an unconscious signal that lets us know that new timeline has been installed and applied, right? When we try to will something to happen, we usually create more resistance at the unconscious level, mm-hmm. okay? You know, there's an old saying in, in traditional classical hypnosis that when the imagination, willpower are in conflict, imagination wins, and it's true. So we need to engage the imaginative function, which is the subconscious and unconscious mind. When that part of you says this is going to happen, it will. And it doesn't really matter what your conscious mind wants. So the secret to manifestation is the unconscious mind. Always. Fantastic. David, is it true that all minds must communicate and agree with one another for you to enhance your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being? Yes. Um, okay. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a very famous hypnotist by the name of Milton Erickson. Uh, and in fact, most people who study conversational hypnosis and psychiatry know who Erickson was. He's known as the father of conversational mm-hmm. hypnosis. And he was quoted very often as saying, your clients will be your clients because they're out of rapport with your unconscious mind. Right, uh, they're out of rapport with their subconscious mind. Part of them wants one thing, another part wants another thing. That's a lack of rapport. That's a lack of unity. That's two sides doing this. Right? Jesus said it in the Bible: "A house divided against itself can't stand." Right? Well, it's a metaphor. If your mind is divided, 
if it wants two different things or it wants the same thing but it's going about it in two closed ways, all forward momentum stops. So if you want spiritual growth, if you want spiritual development, you have to resolve the blockages that keep the different different divisions of your consciousness separate from one another. Mm -hmm. You have to connect them and keep them going in the same direction and expanding like a drop of water emerging merging and larger body of water until it's finally with the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as you return to your source, as all the different parts of you align and harmonize, the power that you have over your reality exponentially increases. Okay. Wow. Thank you. I have a one for you now. How do we align and harmonize the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious minds? First of all, realize you have to. Mm-hmm. Second of all, clean out your shit. Clean out all the stuff that keeps those divisions at odds with each other. Okay. Okay. And then synergistic bring them together. Create outcomes and let each part of your each part let each part of your mind do the job the universe intended it to do. Explain. The conscious mind many times is a role with a two-year-old. I have a two. Actually, she's now three. Uh, she thinks she's thirty because you know she wants to do everything. She will tell you how to do it. She can't do anything, and she's the one that screams the loudest when she doesn't get her way. That's your conscious mind. Okay. Your conscious. <laughs> your conscious mind is the role. If you relate it to the neocortex, some people don't. The neocortex is the youngest layer of your brain. It has the least power, except to throw a monkey wrench into everything else. It's the part that will always try to tell your unconscious mind how to do it instead of what to do. will judge everything, and it will scream louder than every other part. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the part of you that that it's it's the part of you that's playing that voice in your head. Voice that right. Um, and so what happens is the conscious mind tries to do the subconscious mind's job, and it does it badly. It doesn't have the bandwidth. It doesn't have the scope of influence. Its job is to evaluate and say, now do this, or what, what do I, here's what we do next. Its job isn't to do it. And so we need to understand that what the doer does, the observer observes. The conscious mind is the observer self, one of them, okay. an aspect of it. Okay. The subconscious and the unconscious are the doers, mm-hmm. okay? And all of those parts need to play the role that they are uniquely suited to do, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Because when just mind speaks up, the subconscious mind says, okay, for a moment, right? And then as soon as the conscious mind runs out of energy, which it almost always does, it, the conscious mind goes back to doing what it was gonna do anyway. I see, okay, wow. Thank you for that. My pleasure. David, can you explain the placebo and nocebo effect? How sure. does the power of the mind override pain, tension, and illness? Uh, well, it's very, very, very well, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> because uh, the, latest, the latest studies, especially in the fields of trauma research and chronic and, and illness, psychogenic illness specifically, tell us that all chronic illness is memory-based. 80% of it is memory-based. That means 8 out of 10 people coming in for treatment of anything 
are suffering from a physiological malady generated by a set of bad memories. Okay. Interesting. And, and clinically, that's what we're seeing. Clinically, that's what we're seeing. And if, but the thing we need to understand is that your mind is not located in your brain. Your mind everywhere. Your mind, your mind is your body. You know, people, it's, it, I, I actually shocked a, a, a convention full of hypnotists last year uh, because a lot of the things I do are very body-centered. And as hypnotists, you know, we pride ourselves on the domain of the unconscious mind is our domain. And when you go to a hypnotist, basically what happens is you sit pretty much vegetative in a chair while they drone on with some script or some, some pattern that's designed to get you a change. But the unconscious mind controls the body, right? Mm -hmm. We take that as a given. So what is the largest part of your unconscious mind? Largest part that you can actually quantify as your unconscious mind. The answer is it's your body. And if you're involved in a therapy or if you're involved in an intervention that's not engaging body, you're not engaging the most powerful component and resources of the subconscious mind, of the unconscious mind. All right? So when I have you physically point to something, reach out and touch it, what am I doing? I'm activating so many different layers of your physiology as well as your body your bio, and uh, your vortexes of your brain, it's lighting up like a Christmas tree. I'm accessing the 80 to 85% of the unconscious resources that are usually dormant and quiescent in the average hypnotic intervention. I love that. When that happens. And this is one of the things we need to understand. Mind is the body. The body is the mind. Okay. And once all of us are engaged in the same direction, towards a specific outcome, change happens rapidly because that's how the system is designed. But in terms of um, going back to your question about nocebo and how to remove pain and things from the unconscious mind, everything you can point to has a picture floating in the space around you, mm -hmm. which means the minute you can find the picture, you found the volume knob. Mm -hmm. So you can turn that up, you can turn it down, you can change it to something else. Because everything human beings experience is just an interpretation of vibrational data. And your neurology can reprocess and relay that information in any form you want it to, provided you can go into the state and access the information. Okay? When you've seen, you've, you've seen my spinning technique, yes, where I literally yes, point yes. to where you feel it, reach in, grab it, take it out, I spin it, it the other way, and it goes away. It goes away. And every time, and every time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little profanity right now, but every time I see that, Every time I do that, there's this little voice in my head that goes, that shouldn't work. That shit shouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and yet over and over again, it does because this is the truth of the body. This is the truth of the, psych the, the psychogenic factors. We are not a mind and a body. We are a body-mind, right? And as long as we engage all of our resources, utilizing a language that every division of us understands, which is not words, by the way, yeah. uh, then we can create powerful changes as long as we engage in that playful play pretend state, which is the, 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 is the fastest way to get it, right? We got to be fully absorbed in the process. We got to be focused, but that's how we do it. And if there's any common denominator in the vast majority of interventions that you'll see is that body-centered, playful interacting with these holograms out here, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's what we do. The nocebo effect, the placebo effect are what we call psychogenic 
commonly referred to as mind-generating phenomena. Mm -hmm. The placebo effect is where we tend to get a curative response from an inert substance. If I give you uh, a sugar pill, I tell you it's the world's most powerful tranquilizer. Approximately 40% of the people you give a pill to uh, will actually experience significant pain relief, even though it's a sugar pill. Okay. The nocebo effect is where you get a harmful or a negative response based on the expectations and beliefs. So if I tell you that um, the sugar pill I just gave you will enhance your sensitivity to pain, even though it's the same sugar pill, all of a sudden you'll get a 40 to 60% bump in your sensitivity to pain, and all of a sudden it feels you know, 40 to 60% worse. Another way this happens is in the realm of pain relief, where people are so skeptical that their pain can be relieved that when you actually give them morphine or some very powerful tranquilizer, about 40 to 50% don't feel an effect. That's how powerful the mind is to modulate external input, external forces within us. So it is, the right? and that's just the average. Yeah. It is the belief that can heal you and it is a belief that can harm you. Mm hmm. And more often than not, um, the way we've processed or, or, or built the structure of that belief. David, can you repeat that, please? Uh, where did you? What was the last thing you heard? The belief that can heal you and harm you. All right. Well, the thing that we need to understand about beliefs is that they generate a feeling in the body. Okay. And if you can point to the feeling, yes, you can change the belief just by modulating the size, shape, and location of it. Because wow. it has beliefs have a structure too. You see, the study of NLP is the study of the structure of subjective human experience. All beliefs are subjective. They're subjective experiences, therefore they have, and they have a structure. And if you manipulate the structure, you manipulate the belief. Wow, that's excellent. This is powerful information. This is it just gets deep. This is, this is what we understand if we really want to make the full use of this. Absolutely. This is, I'm very happy that you're sharing this information with us. This is excellent stuff. Thank you very much. My pleasure. David, last but certainly not least. If you could share with our viewers your top secret to positive transformation, what would it be? Top secret to positive transformation. According to David Snyder. Oh, geez. Where to begin? The first thing that pops into my head is clean out your stuff. You Get the stuff. Earlier, clean out your shit. Clean out your shit. Shit being a technical term, by the way. Secret hypnotic influence technologies. Um, but yeah, the, the, the big thing that – got to remember that the quality of our lives will be determined by two things, the things we want and the things we don't want. Okay. Right? If we clean out the negative feelings in our body – and by the way, you will never run out of negative stuff to clean up, but it doesn't mean you won't optimize your system as you go. Yes. We need to simultaneously clean out the stuff and replace it with what we want instead. We need to focus on the things we want and not on the things we don't want. So, um, you know, we can talk about how to program your mind or we can talk about the law of attraction or manifestation, but you will pull into your life, into your reality, 
the events, situations, people, and circumstances that are in harmony with the beliefs which are analogous to the frequencies that you embody. The feeling in your body are a literal representation of the frequency at which you're vibrating at, the gestalt frequency. So if you're walking around predominantly feeling negative stuff in your body, that's going to taint the vibrational signature you send out to the universe and it's going to change the reality you create around you. When you systematically raise your vibration by focusing on getting rid of the stuff that's holding you back and amplifying the things you want in terms of the structure of it so that they become the dominant frequency, your vibration, your aggregate vibration raises, your perceptual filters change, the priority of the information coming in changes, and you live a different reality. And it will continue to go that way. It's a never-ending, ever-expanding process. Lots of different ways to go about that simple meta process. Clean out your stuff, build up, the th amplify, the, decide what you want, amplify the feelings that move you towards it, and take action. You know, a very wise woman once told me, you can be anything in life that you want. You can have anything in life that you want. But first, you have to be for whom that thing can happen to. Excellent. Right? Be, do, have. Be, do, and have. David, thank you very much for your much-needed knowledge. Thank you. You are an inspiration. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for accepting. Well, <laughs> this brings us to the end of our interview. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to follow David Snyder's work and learn more about the power of the mind, quick transformation, peak performance, healing, and more, you can visit his website at the bottom of the screen, www.nlppower.com or davidsnydernlp.com. My website is also at the bottom of the screen, www.venetiaz.com. David, thank you once again. Thank, thank you. you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you to the audience. Stay positive, stay healthy, stay aligned with your dreams. Peace and love. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence Reprogram Your Subconscious Mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663 and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer.